This is Justin Lanero from the Disturbing the Peace podcast, and you are listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 146, Prince Songs. McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. You can find Derek on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM, and you'll find me at C McBrien, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website with all of our information. Derek, last episode, I mentioned we had a surprise this week, and we delivered. Yes. We delivered. So this week, joining us all the way from sunny and very hot Florida, one of the founding members of Pop Goes Your World, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, Yancey Eaton. It feels so good to be back. My oh. my two Canadian brothers. I love you guys. Love you too. Um, you know, I, I think I went on what, like a couple months ago, three, four months ago, maybe longer. I can't remember. Um, but at neither event, it's very nice to talk to you guys and to and to be doing this again. The band's back together. You know, this feels yeah. really good. So thank you for having me. Yeah, that's great. Yancy, yeah, we've said we, we've been saving the Prince topic until we knew you were available because it didn't feel right to do an episode dedicated to Prince and not have you participate in a major way. So not glad all, you can make it tonight. Not only well, listen, I'm, I'm not going to be gracious. I'm really going to say Chris had thrown me out the idea. He's like, yeah, he's like, we're thinking about doing Prince. And I literally said, Chris, didn't I? I'm like, if you do that without me, I am going to be so pissed off. So like, make sure. That's <laughs> like the I'm... one thing I'm like, I will clear my schedule. Like, make sure I'm here for this. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Like, it's not just that we, we, sh- we, we got to include him in this because I mean, we've obviously done lots of top five shows here where we list our top five favorite bands and, or are <laughs> some of the songs that they've done. Like we did Queen on episode 85 and then we did U2 on episode 103 and a one three we did Michael Jackson and then we got thinking yeah we want to do top five Prince songs but if we did not include Yancey in this he might actually come up to Canada and kill us yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so and I'm bringing Corona with me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, from the Petri dish that is Florida right now. Uh, Yancey, since you're back this week, obviously, and we're doing mm-hmm. a music-related show, I thought yeah. I'd share a music dad joke with you guys. So, here's your dad joke of the week. Oh, here it is. <laughs> guys, what concert only costs 45 cents to get into? I have no idea. I don't know. 50 cent with Nickelback. Jeez. Oh. <laughs> is it possible for you to somehow delete your account, even though this is just a podcast? Can we can we arrange that? Yancy, <laughs> see that what you've been missing good. around here? Bands that should have been bigger. You're not talking about Prince. I'm talking about Prince. But okay. Prince was and bigger. He was like huge. By bigger, he means instead of playing a bar, they should have played like a minor league hockey arena. Yeah, exactly. A band that couldn't get 20 people at the Port Elgin Arena. He was always overshadowed by one person. Weird Al Yankovic? Well, that's kind of stupid. He's kind of right. I stand by what I said. Yancey, we love you, man. Okay, so as we mentioned, we um, we wanted to do our top five Prince songs, and we could not do that episode without having Yancey Eaton back in the studio. So, Yancey, you're going to join us. So we're going to we put together our individual list. Now we don't care. Sometimes what we'll do is Derek and I will have like a third party review our lists and then let us know if there's overlap, and we'll try to correct the overlap to try try and keep you know, five different things this week. We decided not to do anything like that. There's going to be overlap. We understand that we don't care. This is all about our five favorite Prince songs. We got lots to pick from and Yancey, since you're back with us now and it's been a little while, we'd like you to go first. So we're going to start at number five and work our way up to number one. What is your number five Prince song and why? Okay. It would not be a pop goes your world episode without me giving a ton of disclaimers and caveats before we actually start. Of course. Um, So I'm not going to talk a bunch about the the all-time classics that everybody knows, right? I'm not going to talk about, you know, I'll, I'll mention them as honorable mentions, but I'm not going to talk about the big, big ones, primarily like the ones on the 1984 album, okay? Mm. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. Because I'm going to do that yet. probably. Okay. So that's good. Um, with that being said, I want to talk about my number five, which is Controversy. You know, obviously it's the name of the song. It is the, or I'm sorry, the name of the album. 
it was the fourth album released by Prince back whenever he was still with Warner Brothers. And um, I, I believe that this was where the fighting officially started between him and Warner Brothers. Um, the song itself is absolutely incredible. The it's it's one of the things that Prince has always done extremely well, which is he masks really serious uh, dialogue and, and situational um you know, narrative between multiple people or groups of people or identity. He merges all these things and he overlays it under like either like really poppy funk, you know, like really like, you know, four on the floor, like very, very dancey kind of stuff. That's, that's low key. It's almost like joy division where like, you don't, you don't truly understand how dark some of these songs are until you actually start listening to them. Um, I'm going to do the least interesting thing ever, which is to recite some of the lyrics to you guys from controversy, but it says, uh, very quickly, starting right off the top, I just can't believe all the things that people say. Am I black? Am I white? Am I straight or gay? Do I believe in God? Do I believe in me? Controversy. I can't under. I'm almost done, guys. I know. I'm sorry. I can't understand human curiosity. Was it good for you? Was it what you wanted me to be? Do you get high? Does your daddy cry? Controversy. Okay, there's uh, obviously we're back. I would have. I would have liked it if you would have sang it. Oh, I'm not singing. But that's oh, right. Are you geez. kidding me? It's. <laughs> I'm not, it's too hard, man. Um, but there's just so much going on here. And like I said, this is like, this is laid into a, like a very dancey, you know, very, uh, I don't even know how to explain, but it, it is like a pop funk song. Um, and it's just really, really dark talking about like, am I exactly who you guys want me to be? And I think one of the main prevailing themes throughout the decades of Prince's career has just been like, like, do you think that I care what you want me to be? Like, I'm all, I'm constantly pushing back and challenging your notion of where you want me to fit inside this box. You know, he got a lot of stuff because he has changed his sound so much. Like, album for album, it was a completely, completely different thing. And um, this song is just absolutely incredible. The instrumentation is amazing. Prince's voice is all over the place. Um, you know, we've talked about this before on the podcast. He has amazing range. He can go really high up with the falsettos. He can go down super low. He can growl. And, of course, the entire time he's doing this, he's just playing fantastic guitar. So I know that was a long segue. Number four will be much shorter, but controversy number five is is uh, my fifth favorite Prince song. I have a question for you because I'm yeah. the Gen X guy around here and I'm stuck in the 70s and 80s. So I don't know anything that really happened after that. But you mentioned something. This was You said this was before Prince had uh, controversy with his record uh, label, right? Well, and, this is this was this was like the advent of the, right. of the controversy. And and so I'm just wondering if you could just maybe help me understand if you know anything about that because I just remember there was a period after because I like I like all the early print stuff. That's it. I don't like any of the newer mm-hmm. stuff. It's just the way I am. Um, and as a result. Later on in his career, I remember he went through that phase where he was the artist formerly known as Prince. He was just a, a symbol, right? And a lot of that had to do with arguments that he had with the record label. Was that not the situation? Help me understand that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it started in the 80s and it, it went all the way through the 90s where basically like he has always wanted complete control over distribution, over lyrics, over presentation, over how he gets to present his music, what his, you know, everything. And uh, this, this was like the first time where, um, he got a lot of pushback because like on controversy, like he actually recites like the Lord's prayer. He talks about blasphemy. He talks about homosexuality. He talks about, uh, you know, just overtly sexual lyrics. And there's all these different things that are going on. And these, these record labels, they are corporate entities. They want to make music that is safe, that appeals to the masses and doesn't really ruffle too many feathers. So obviously that flies in the face of artistic freedom and expression. And Prince has always fought those people. In the early 90s, he at one point wanted to release an album that had the N-word in it. And like <laughs> it obviously didn't happen. Warner Brothers ended up uh, basically releasing like another greatest hits compilation in, in lieu of that album because he absolutely refused to release it under any other name. So that music remained shelved. But yeah, he's just always rubbed people the wrong way. Um, I personally, I, I kind of take his side on this. It's just because he's always been his own thing and he refuses to compromise from an artistic standpoint. And, um, you know, you're, you're always going to have people like that. That's how you push society forward is you have to challenge the norms and uh, corporate executives, unfortunately, do not like that. Okay, well, that's mm. interesting to know. I uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, so, uh, you're, you're my go-to guy for anything that has to do with Prince. That's for sure. Uh, so, over to you, Derek. Your number five favorite Prince song, and uh, we'll work our way up. What do you got? All right. So, uh, much like Yancey, it wouldn't be a top five list without me giving a whole bunch of caveats, rules, and exceptions at the top. So, <clears throat> I, I think I'm going to be the uh, the old man screaming, "Get off my lawn!" And uh, you're going to find my have a lot of the. Yeah, sorry, I, I'm swimming in your lane tonight, man. Uh, <laughs> I, okay. I found that I really have a lot of textbook answers here, 
and it wasn't intentional. Uh, actually, what I did was I threw together a list of my top 20 favorite Prince songs in no particular order, and I thought, well, I can narrow this down to five. I got it down to like 11, no problem. And then narrowing it down from 11 to five was really tough, and I found that I, I kept leaning on what we'll argue are, are the textbook answers. Not not 100% textbook, but the top two or three are textbook answers. There won't be any surprises there. Maybe the order, that'll be the only surprise. But I did realize after I put my top five list together, I don't have any duplicates on any album. So my five songs all come from five different Prince albums. And you'll be shocked to learn none of them are from the Batman soundtrack. And I know oh, how much you know I love Batman. You do. But uh, Bat Dance is, a, is an interesting Prince song. Definitely not his greatest. Certainly not. It doesn't make my top five. <laughs> and I also I just want to say, Chris, you mentioned off the top, we've done this same idea with U2, yeah. Queen, and Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, that's some pretty strong company to put Prince in, but I think he absolutely deserves to be there. And I started thinking earlier this week, man, if we're going to keep doing this with musicians, this is going to be a very exclusive club. And I don't know if there are that many artists left that can that can fit in that sort of, uh, you know, that type of grouping. But maybe that's uh, something we could talk about off off uh, mic and see if we come up with another one for down the road. But on anyway, the, on the way on the way back this weekend, just just jump in on the way back this weekend, I was listening to ACDC and I thought they, they came to mind as a band that has just so many songs that you could do a top five of. But that's just what I thought of. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. Yep. Uh, so the other thing I wanted to say as, as almost sort of an apology uh, is I don't really have a lot of good reasons for why I've picked some of these songs other than I like them. I like what I like and I can't really explain it, which I know is sort of a lame cop out answer, but I'm really glad Yancey's here to sort of fill in the blanks. Cause I think if it was just Chris, if it was just you and I, this would be a real short podcast. So in any case, okay. So with, with all of that being said, I'm just going to jump in and for each of mine, I've got a whole bunch of the stats about the song at the beginning. Cause I figured if I don't have a lot of other things to say, let's drown you with facts. Very so cool. my number five favorite Prince song is you got the look from the sign of the times album in 1987. Uh, it was released in July 14th, 1987. It features uh, Sheila E. on percussion and Sheena Easton on vocals. Uh, it reached number two on the U.S. Uh, Billboard Hot 100 in uh, the week of October 17th, 1987. It uh, stayed in the top 10 for six weeks. It didn't reach number one because it couldn't get past Lost in Emotion by Lisa Lisa and the Cult Jam. Um, but yeah. You got the look by Prince, uh, number five for me. I, I think, like, I'm really, I really like what would be classified as like new wave from the '80s. I like the the idea of the, the the synthesizer sounds, but songs that are danceable, but also have radio friendly play. And I found this. You got the look sort of really encompasses a lot of that. It's very eighties. It's got like the synth sound. It's, it's, it gets your foot tapping. Like it's definitely got that. Um, it's, I wouldn't necessarily call it a rock song. Like Prince, I find straddles the line with genre so much. Some of his songs are dance, pop, R and B, funk, even rock and roll. Uh, and I mean, Prince is a phenomenal, uh, musician in his own right, but his guitar skills are outstanding, which is usually the the staple of a quote rock and roll band. But you got the look to me is more of a a pop sort of funk, even very gently touching up against new waves sound. And it's 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 definitely a sign song of its time, even though the album is called Sign of Times, uh, from '87. It fits right in nicely with other songs from that year. Uh, there's no doubt you could you know if you've never heard this song before, but you knew music from this time, you'd have no no problem picking it out. Um, yeah, I really, again, I have a hard time sort of describing why I like some of these songs other than to say I like what I like. And for me, You Got the Look, Sign of the Times, 1987, is my number five. That's the thing with, with good art is sometimes it's hard to describe why you like it. And Prince definitely is an artist. There's no question. Oh, no question. Okay, my number five is not a quote-unquote Prince song in the sense that it's not a song he recorded himself. Because as we all know, Prince wrote a lot of songs for other people. And he my gave first, them away. Yeah. And the, yeah and so my, crazy amount of songs. Yeah, so I'm going to go with one of these. Back in 1984, just a little bit of a setup, I went to see Purple Rain in the movie theater when it first came out. I was only 14 years old at the time. Uh, back then, the movie rating system was a little bit different than it is now. So we got in to see a lot of movies that we probably shouldn't have been able to see. Uh, but that, that was part of growing up in the 80s, I guess. But anyway, so Purple Rain in, in the movie. It's all about the, obviously, the music scene in Minneapolis back in the early 80s. And there was this rivalry between Prince and Morris Day in the time. And what I didn't know at the time that I saw the movie is that Prince wrote a lot of songs for the other bands that are in, in the movie, including one of my favorite songs from the movie, and that was Jungle Love. 
So his <laughs> good arch, pick, Chris. Good good pick. His arch rival in the movie is Morris Day, right? And now I now keep in mind I have not seen this movie since I saw it in the movie theater in 1984. But I remember there was this Battle of the Bands thing that they had going on, and I remember I just absolutely loved the song Jungle Love. The energy and the dancing. Morris Day in the time they do this whole jumping around thing and they bounce their shoulders. And every time I hear this song, I just think of them bouncing around on stage. It's such a great, great song. And it wasn't until years later that I found out Prince wrote this song. And even though this is his com- competitor in the movie, but oh man, this song is so good. So I remember thinking at the time that Prince was good, but I liked these guys as much as I did Prince in the movie. And I think it was because of this song. And and like I say, since then I've learned, you know, Prince wrote songs for everybody. Uh, but I think this is probably my favorite of all the songs that he wrote for people. I remember too, back in the 80s, I used to watch WWF wrestling and there was this one wrestler called Coco Beware. And he used to come out with this parrot named Frankie. And his walk-up music <laughs> was this song called The Bird. And it always reminded me of Jungle Love. I mean, who knows? Maybe Prince wrote that song for Coco Beware, too. Who knows? He was pretty prolific, so who knows? But it, it, this song, it's a great song to dance to. It's got a great stage performance. It's just a good all-around song. So as much as I, I love me some Prince songs, and I'm going to get into some, I think Jungle Love is one of my favorite ones of all time. So mm-hmm. that's my pick. Number four, Yancey, what do you got? Let me just say, I yes? when, when I think of Jungle Love, it's mm-hmm. a great song. I'm not hating on it at all. It, it is the definition of an earworm. You hear it, oh, and that yeah. song yep. stays with you. It does. It is, it's intoxicating, and I don't, yeah. I don't know how else to better say it. But yeah, yeah it is an absolute earworm. It's a great song. I Obviously, nineteen eighty four. Like it's just, I just unbelievable. The, I think it's the energy. I just love the energy in it. It's just, oh, Prince does that on, on a few other times. I'm going to mention tonight, but uh, he just the energy in his music is just, you know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Anyway, okay, number four. What do you got, Jens? Uh, I'm going to give. Uh, a, a kind of a weird pick. I don't know if it would be on a lot of people's favorites for top five favorite songs, but um, I'm going to go Starfish and Coffee. Um, it's <laughs> it's a strange song. It's really, really weird. Um, you know, I, I think it's like, it's if you had to rank it to like other, um, like it, say we were pitting Prince against say like the Beatles or something. This would be like Yellow Submarine, okay? It doesn't really fit well into the, you know, in, into the... Uh, I don't know the entire discography of Prince, but it's such a, a weird, fun song. It, it it literally talks about you know uh, ham and breakfast and eating starfish and coffee. And but my my favorite part in this entire thing is it's just talking about like you know if you how am I trying to say this? It, it is such a weird, kooky song that somehow resonates with me, and I don't really know why. Um, I've, I've, I've always jammed with this song. I, I used to actually think that the words were different than what they were. I didn't think that it said starfish and coffee, but here we are. I just love the part that it talks about, like, if you set your mind free, maybe you would understand. And then it goes right back to talking about starfish and coffee again. It doesn't make any sense. And like Purple Rain, which I'm, I'm sure uh, at least one of us is going to mention tonight, Purple Rain is like one of those songs where nobody actually really knows 100% what Purple Rain is about. It's kind of like this with starfish and coffee. Is this Is this like allegory? Is this is using this as a metaphor for something else. We don't know. It's just a weird, fun, like narrative driven, weird, like flashback song. And I, I just think it's so kooky. And I, I love it. Every single time it's fun, I play it all the way through. Um, you won't see a lot of Prince heads saying that this is one of their top five favorite, but it's just, it's just the kookiest little thing in his discography. So starfish and coffee, it's weird, but I love it. Number and, four. and he wrote it about a girl that he knew like back in school yep. she was really kind of quirky and weird. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Okay. Uh, Derek, what do you got for your number four? I got a follow-up question for Yancey. What mm-hmm. album was that from? Starfish and coffee. Yeah. Uh, should be sign of the times, right? Really? Okay. I was gonna uh, say, I'm not familiar with that song. So, okay. I'll go back and look it up. I'm pretty sure it's starfish and coffee, but you put me on the spot. Let me look real quick. Yeah, it was on sign of the times. Yep. Okay. Yeah. All right. Huh. Okay, see, the things we learn. Yeah, that's uh, why we bring right. Yancey on. He's the Yeah, master. for sure. Yeah. And for Jungle Love, Chris, I want to just say it's, yes. it's had a, a, a gentle resurgence in more recent years because Kevin Smith has used it as, has, uh, yes. as a feature in a couple of his movies with Jay and Silent Bob. You're right. Um, so I think, it, it, although it's sort of uh, in his movies as a punchline almost, it's also in there. Uh, I think as a guy like us who loves 80s pop culture as a way to shine a spotlight on a song that people may have overlooked or that doesn't get enough credit. And I I'm, I hope that younger people coming to the Kevin Smith movies 
are like, I don't know what this song is and have since looked it up uh, because of his uh, his nudge based on what he puts in his movies. So mm-hmm. anyway, neither here nor there. OK, we're going on to my number four. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to pick one that I think is much like Yancey said with his probably not on every Prince fans uh top five list but uh one of the prince songs that has always stood out as a favorite to me and that's alphabet street from love sexy released in 1988 single was released on april 23rd 88 it was the first single from the album uh to reach the top 10 actually it was the only single from that album to reach the top 10 uh in both the u.s and the uk um it's a very the radio release anyway was very short it's like under three minutes which in 1988 was not typical like most pop songs today and even in the 80s and 90s were like four five six minutes was was pretty standard so i think that might have been part of why i liked it is it was like you get a a strong hit of prince it's a very short song it's very catchy um and then boom it's done and then it's almost like it leaves you wanting more. I want more Prince. And there is a, a longer version of it uh, that, that was on a couple of his albums. I, I I have it on one of my Prince Greatest Hits albums. It has like the seven inch remix or the 12 inch remix. It's like a seven or eight minute version of the song. But it's very clear there's like, for the longer version of the song, there's two parts. It's like there's the first three minutes is the radio part, uh, like the radio friendly, clear, whatever. And then it gets a little more dancey and stuff. Um, but anyway, Alphabet Street, very straightforward, very sort of... Um, to me, anyway, it feels very much like a by the numbers kind of song. No, by the numbers, even though it's about an alphabet. Haha, <laughs> didn't mean that intentionally. Um, I don't know. Again, I <laughs> thanks, <Yeah. laughs> uh, Again, it's it's like it's hard to describe why I like it. Uh, it and one of the things that I want to say is. I really love 80s music and I really love 80s music videos. And as much as I love, love, love Prince, he has done he has not done a lot of great music videos. There's been a few where he's tried to be a little experimental, but especially the ones in the eighties, most of them are kind of boring. It's just like concert videos or something along those lines. This is another one where it's just him dancing in front of a green screen with like letters flying around. It's, it's sort of weird and psychedelic to look at, but it, it doesn't really help his case here for this song. But in any case, um, one of the things that also, because I always, like, I love this song when I first heard it in the eighties and it just stuck with me, but it wasn't one that you hear on the radio very often in uh, 1992, there was a band called arrested development who had uh, a pretty successful run and they had a song called Tennessee. They got sued. Yeah. Pardon me. They got sued. Didn't they? I don't remember if they got sued or not, but they sample uh, the line from the alphabet street where Prince says, Tennessee, they sample that, that version of Prince singing it in the song. And that jumped when I first heard the rest of development song, as soon as I heard that Tennessee, I was like, that's Prince. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It was something about that. I mean, I like the Arrested Development song on its own, but the fact that it had that hook into Prince sort of predisposed me to liking it even more. So in my mind, it's almost like those two songs are linked in that way. So when I hear mm-hmm. Alphabet Street, uh, in a way, it sort of also makes me think of the Arrested Development song. And on those very rare occasions when they replay the Arrested Development song, it definitely makes me think back to Prince. But mm-hmm. anyway, my number four, Alphabet Street. Those guys should have just stayed with Mr. Wendell and just called it a day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. All right. My number four. Chris, I will say very quickly, yeah. I just looked it up. Uh, they did get sued for that. And they yes. had to pay the Prince. They had to pay Prince and his, you know, I guess, record company $100,000 for that. <laughs> so not a lot of money, but they. I remember yeah. there was. Drop in the bucket yeah. for yeah. what they probably made on it in the 90s. Right. Yep. Um, okay. So my number four, I'm going back to 1983. Uh, I'm going to go with Little Red Corvette. Now, this is back from before Prince was Prince. Let me explain what I mean by that, because this is what it means to me. I always feel like Prince became big with Purple Rain. And before that, he wasn't as well known by mainstream audiences outside of that Minneapolis music scene. Um, But this song, Little Red Corvette, embodies what Prince is all about to me, because his songs never meant what you thought they meant. He uses the car as a metaphor for a one-night stand that he had, and really that's Prince in a nutshell. He's always adding sexuality into his songs, you know, some of it androgynous, but he was always singing about women and sex. And this song for me was one of his best at doing that. So he was just a master of just getting, you know, sexual innuendos into his songs and using metaphors for stuff. And, and it's catchy too. So I'm going with number four, Little Red Corvette. That's mine. Yancey, what do you got for number three? Um, this is really hard. This is like a half and like kill your kids. Like you have to pick one. Like, yeah. really, you're getting, um, we're getting down to it. Yeah. You, you guys remember this, like, you know, 
all these episodes, like oftentimes I'll just have like a running list of a bunch of stuff that I want to talk about. And then at, you know, spur of the moment kind of thing, I'll drop it right before I literally talk on the mic. But um, for number three, I'm going to go with uh, a, a rare B side that does not get a lot of love. It kind of has a, um, this is more of like the paying lip service to the diehard Prince fans. Um, the song is She's Always In My Hair. It was released May 15th of 1985. Um, it is, it was later added to, uh, the hits and the B sides as like, that was a project or whatever, but it was originally just a single. Um, it's a, it's a weird song. It's just basically talking about how, uh, you know, like this woman is always here for me kind of thing. She's always in my hair when I feel like giving up, uh, whenever the sunshine turns to rain, when my hopes and dreams are aimed in the wrong direction, she's always there. Uh, it's literally just like a love song saying like, Hey, I see you and I appreciate you. But what makes this song so awesome is the guitar. He is, he just has a hellacious guitar. So a lot of that is just super cool. It's super jammy. Um, it's very kind of classic rock, but it's, uh, you know, the, the way he composes music and he builds up this song, it's just, it's a really weird, interesting piece that is constantly fusing multiple genres together, but, um, super weird. Like I said, uh, not not like the conventional, everybody knows this, you're going to hear it at karaoke or anything like that. But for the diehard Prince fans, there's a sound on this that he captures. And, and like I said, the guitar work is just absolutely phenomenal. So it's my number three. It's it's a very weird, kooky one. If we were to have a draft where, you know, if, if, if you guys took a song, I couldn't take it kind of thing. Um, this could be our last round pick. And I think it would be able to sneak in unless you guys are going to surprise me. But um, this is a very fly under the radar, super amazing song. And uh, that's my number three. You mentioned, I have a question. Yeah, you mentioned it was a B-side. Do you remember what was on the A-side of it? Uh, Raspberry Beret. Very good. Oh, you do oh, know, nice. you know your prints. Oh, good. Wow. Look at you, good man. job. Nice work. All right, Derek, what do you got for your number three? All right. Uh, we are going to uh, really go into the textbook answers here, starting at number three. And when I started putting this list Me together yeah. uh, last week, this was my number one until like yesterday. And if we did this list two days from now, it might get back to number one. My, my top three are very interchangeable. They're three of Prince's biggest songs ever. This one probably is the one that is is the least um, popular of the three, but there's still three pretty big songs. So my number three I decided to land on is Kiss from the Parade album in 1986. Um, the, uh, well, I guess... And then I have here, it was released in April of 1985. So, okay, so maybe it came out in 85, obviously. <laughs> Didn't fact check my own work here. Uh, it reached number one in the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 charts for two weeks. It reached number six in the U.K. It was Prince's third number one song after When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy. The song was ranked 464th on Rolling Stone's list of the 500 greatest songs ever. So, you know, it, it, it wasn't the number one song by any stretch, but it made the list. Um what I did learn when I was doing some research for the podcast was when Prince died in 2016, a lot of his songs were re-released and, and charted in the top 100. Mm -hmm. And I believe the three I have coming up are all fall into that category. This is the first one. Uh, it re was re-released, uh, in 2016 and it ended up going, it started at number 28 and ended up going up to 23, um, the year that in uh, April, 2016, when he died. Um, and, uh, one of the reasons that I know this song and like this song so much is uh, a couple of years after it was released, there was a cover done by The Art of Noise featuring Tom Jones. Yes, Tom right? Jones. Yeah. And this is one of those rare cases where the cover song is is pretty good too. Like I was, I was I'm not going to say it's better than the Prince song because the Prince song is pretty damn good. But this is one where I really found that the cover was not just the band trying to sound like the original. Because uh, obviously Tom Jones has a much deeper voice and C Prince's lyrics in this is all sort of that high pitch falsetto sort of high, high Prince voice. And I, I realized when I heard the cover version that I think that's what doesn't make this my all time hands down number one Prince song is the fact that he sings it with that really high voice. When I heard it sung by somebody else in a deeper voice, I kind of liked that a little better. And I kind of wish the Prince had recorded a version where he wasn't with the high, high pitch and he went down to sort of his his more, you know, the deeper voice. I think it might have sounded, it might have given it a, a slightly different sound. But the song in, and in its own right is great. It's one of the, it's one of the only ones on my list that uh, I thought actually had a, a 
sort of reason like uh, the video was actually kind of good it was again very straightforward but it's him dancing around in those really tight pants uh that look like they're just painted on like my god you you don't realize how tiny a man he was until you see him in this video and you're like holy cow this like not only is he fit but he is so tiny as a person um in the video he is uh, accompanied by uh, one of his band members from the revolution band wendy uh, melvin she's playing the guitar while he's singing and dancing um yeah again this is uh it, it's i mean it is what it is right uh the lyric it's got great lyrics act your age not your shoe size i always love that and this gets a lot of uh radio play i listen to a lot of 80s channels and uh so y- you hear this one pretty regular it's in pretty pretty heavy rotation even now like you know 30 35 years later um i've always just liked number three uh, on my list is kiss uh one thing that i did want to bring up um so prince apparently is one of the only really big artists of the 80s that was not a fan of Weird Al Yankovic in the sense that Weird Al Yankovic did parodies of <laughs> everything and everyone. And apparently right. Prince was the only artist that Weird Al would approach year after year. Every time Prince had a new song, Weird Al's people would reach out, Prince, we want to do a parody of your song. And he was having none of it. He was like, nope. It was all about integrity. And it's like, he didn't want to have anything to do with parody. And I remember uh, uh, years following weird Al was always asked that they're like have you ever run into trouble with people who you know don't like what you've done and he's like well there's an artist who we won't mention the name of but he likes to appear naked on the cover of his albums and uh, he's obsessed with the color purple (laughs) and uh he just won't have any of it so i always found that was sort of interesting about prince that uh, i don't know if it was uh if it was he, he genuinely disliked weird Al or he just didn't like the idea of his songs being parodied but uh, I, I always just thought that was an interesting quirk about him. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But it reminded me because uh, I'm looking at the cover of the album of, of this. And uh, anyway, so Kiss was my number three. I'm going to pass it over to you, Chris. Just as an aside, my favorite Weird Al Yankovic story is, remember the movie The Naked Gun when Frank Drebin comes off the plane and everyone's cheering and screaming and yelling at him? And, like, oh, and he yeah. thinks he's like, like so popular. He's like, wow, what a reception. And then his boss is like, uh, yeah, they're not here for you. Uh, Weird Al Yankovic is on the plane. And I just I just found that so funny. I don't know. I just love it. Can I okay. can I just say too? Also, as a random yeah. aside, the the tangents that we have gotten on tonight has has been quite a joy. We were talking about a WWF's wrestler's parrot's name. Yeah, uh, we Frankie. were talking about Yankovic. It's just it's really been it's really been a ride. Oh, it's, that's <laughs> brings all people together. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. That's why we had to have you back, yeah, Nancy. Okay, my number three. Uh, I'm gonna be like Derek. I'm gonna stick with the big ones here. I'm going with uh, a song from 1982, and it's the song is named the same name as the album. That's 1999. This song is really, really, really good, and it's also from before his popularity exploded with mainstream audiences because it came out before Purple Rain. And I remember I used to DJ at a bar in the 90s, and they came out with a dance remix of this song. And it was always one of the most popular songs with the crowd, even 15 years after it came out. Now, a lot of it probably had to do with the fact that, you know, the song was popular in 1999 because of the lyrics. But the thing is, his songs have staying power. And this is one of those songs that that probably has as much staying power as any of his songs. It hit the Hot 100 four times across three decades. So if that isn't staying power, I don't know what is. But it makes my list uh, number three. Okay, so Yancey, number two, what do you got? Uh, I'm still trying to decide. This is so tough. Um, right down to the wire, figuring it out. Eh? That's okay. Awesome. Number two, I'm gonna I'm gonna save my my I'm gonna save a good one for number one. That would make sense, right? Save yes. the best for okay. That's how that, that's how rankings work, guys. That's it. Uh, so number two, I'm going to pick a. It is one of four singles that came off of the 1979 self-titled album by Prince, affectionately called Prince, the eponymously named Prince album. Um, so it is Want to Be Your Lover, which uh, I'm not saying this with hyperbole. I am not trying to exaggerate or make this sound better than it is. Want to Be Your Lover is the greatest karaoke song of all time. It is incredible. The only part that you could possibly say doesn't really make sense from a karaoke standpoint is there is like a long instrumental to end the song that lasts like two and a half minutes or three minutes, whatever, that if you just chopped it off and just added the chorus a couple more times, it would be even more of a banger for the karaoke types. But but Wanna Be Your Lover, I know you guys know the song, obviously. Everybody knows it. It's fantastic. It was one of his, I, I don't want to say it was his first hit um, on this actual album. It only ever charted up to like 162 on the Billboard 200. So, you know, this the Prince's self-titled album didn't sell super, super well. But 
Um, there's some great live TV performances whenever Prince was super, super young. And he gets brought on stage. And by uh, uh, there's one there's one performance where James Brown actually introduces him, which is just amazing. And he performs this and he has long hair. He has like this, you know, this really dark mustache. And he's just like this goofy, super bubbly, fun, like like extremely, extremely young, uh, you know, performer. But everybody's like, oh, we, we got to bring Prince on. Like there's already all this buzz within the industry talking about how how Prince is going to be the next big thing. And so he was like the he was the musician's musician. He was the the artist's artist kind of thing. And uh, he performed every single instrument on this album like he does most of his albums, um, you know, sings it, everything like that. You can go high. You can go low. It's it just just from I, I wish I, I've said this before, Chris. I know it, it takes uh, a, a lot of time just to edit the podcast and just to edit out all the, the things that I talk over you guys. And I run too long and I say um a lot. Um this is one of those songs where I wish we could just like supplant a, a, a chunk of it into the podcast so people can just get the chorus out because it is just such an infectiously good, amazing karaoke song. Like as soon as you guys, as soon as we get over this COVID stuff and you guys go out to your local pub or your bar or whatever you guys call it in Canada, your local igloo, um, like make sure that you guys play this song on the karaoke. It is, it, it is absolutely like the best karaoke song of all time. So that's, that's my number two, Want to Be Your Lover from the 1979 self-titled Prince album. And, uh, yeah, it's just fantastic. When, I tell you, when COVID is over, you can come up here to Canada and we'll all go out karaoke together. That sounds fantastic. So you're telling me you go to karaoke and you sing I Want to Be Your Lover? Well, I you gotta bust You got to bust out the falsetto for this one. You'd be surprised. I actually have kind of a, I don't know, like I, I, I actually can't really hit the low registers. I kind of have a naturally higher voice and my my singing wants to sit up in that range in like that weird, that weird falsetto that doesn't make sense to be coming out of, you know, a guy that's, you know, six, one, 220 pounds, but yeah, but I can absolutely hit the falsetto for sure. It's easier than going low. Yeah. Cause Derek mentioned before, like Prince did use the falsetto a lot in his songs, but this song is like exclusively, he sings falsetto the whole song. Yep. So yep. Oh, man, I got to hear you sing uh karaoke sometime. That would be great. Um, okay. So um, Derek, what do you got for your number two? All right. So, Chris, you, you stole my, my thunder. My number two is 1999 from the album of the same name released in the year 1982. You basically touched on all my stats right out of the gate. So thanks for that. Um, there's really not a whole lot more uh, I'm going to say and I can say about this. So uh, I'm going to do another quick aside about Prince since we're here. And, uh, you know, I got to fill my time with something a little more useful. So <laughs> an interesting Prince story that I always liked was. Uh, when Saturday Night Live did their 40th anniversary special, this would have been, I think they're in their 45th year now, so this would have been five years ago. They had this giant special where they basically invited back every cast member that had ever been on stage and like all their A-list guests and a ton of musical performers. And I remember listening to a podcast where they were interviewing Bill Hader. Like right like two weeks after this thing and they were asking him all sorts of stuff and they said like, you know, what can you tell us about this after party, which apparently was legendary. And he was saying that, you know, when you've got that many famous people together, there's a lot of egos and there's a lot of people trying to one up each other. And he said there was a, a stage. And uh, so, of course, the various musicians would come out and perform and, and everyone would do their whatever their biggest song was. And then someone else would come out and go, no, 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 I got a bigger, bigger song than that. And uh he said like all night long, it was just musician after musician trying to one up each other. And then finally Prince just was like, okay, I got this. Hold my beer. And I don't know <laughs> if he literally said that, but that was sort of the, the thing. Prince goes up, performs like three songs in a row, just blows the place away. And that was it. Even though the party wasn't over, nobody had the guts to follow Prince after that. They're like, okay, he wins. And I just thought that's, that's how I always imagined Prince. Like, he wasn't the guy to to uh, again, I don't know this for sure. This is just my impression of him was, you know, where all the other bands were like, hey, look at me. I'm the best. I'm the best. It was like he's the guy that just sort of is like, I'm not interested in that. I, I'm in it. I'm in it for the music. And then when prompted by the other the people, art, they were man. what's that, Chris? Or what's that? It's about the art. Yeah. And yeah. then and then yeah, when finally people were like, Prince, Prince, you should go. You should go. You should go. It finally got to a point where he's like. Okay, we're going to settle this once and for all, you know, and it was just like, boom, here it is. And if you, you know, according to the podcast, what, what Hater was saying is he's just like, you've never been to a better concert in your whole life. And Prince was the cherry on top. Like there was no better way to to clearly let the room know Prince is the Prince is the man. He is he is on top of it. It doesn't matter who else was in the room. 
Prince is number one. And so I always like that story. So anyway, since Chris stole all my thunder from 1999, that's that's what I'm going to use my time for. So uh, I'll leave it over to you. Chris, what's your number two? Don't my, steal my number one. All right. My number two is When Doves Cry, because this is a song that put Prince on the map. I remember when this song came out. And this is back when music videos were like everything, right? And this video had Prince getting out of a ma- bathtub naked. Oh my, my, my. And then reaching his hand out to the camera. So it pretty much cemented him with audiences for being sexually suggestive, right? And there's all the haze and the purple lighting. And as for the song itself, I mean, what can you say? It's just a great song. It opens with this really cool guitar solo and the drums. And the thing about it that's cool is because for a song that has such a prominent beat to it there's no bass guitar used in the song um it was prince's first song to hit number one on the charts it stayed there for five weeks it was the top selling single of 1984 and it was a song that first launched prince into superstardom so it's number two for me that now we're on to number one this should be good yancy what do you got okay a couple things I, I, I love all of you guys' picks. I can tell you guys' hearts are in the right place. I really appreciate it. I love it, right? This has been a lot of fun being able to talk Prince with you guys, my my, my two Canadian brethren, like I like I said earlier. Um, I What else do I want to say real quick? A couple honorable mentions. Let me throw out some songs real quick that I have not mentioned. Obviously, all of Purple Rain is incredible. It is a masterpiece. It's one of the 10 best albums of all time. I genuinely believe this. I'm not sure where it falls as far as like the actual pantheon of greatest albums of all time, but it is super, super up there for me. Um, Derek, I love that you you have five songs from five different albums because I think that's a huge testament to just the 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 amount of great music and how long he did it and how different all of his different pieces were. And uh, that's, it's just amazing that he was, you know, to be, to be as prolific and, and original and constantly putting out new stuff as he did um, to throw out some songs that I, that I just want to mention most beautiful girl in the world. Amazing song, raspberry beret, also another fantastic karaoke song, just a beautiful, beautiful single. Love it to death. Uh, when doves cry is a classic. It is the, everybody and their mother loves it you know like literally like everybody likes this song it's really hard to find somebody that's like oh please turn that off like i i would say more so than purple rain just because purple rain is a little bit longer and it's not really like a sing and dance song too it's just like a i feel this song emotionally like deep within myself that's what purple rain is when does cry is like that is the banger that is like every like that's like in the club you know what i mean um sign of the times uh, of course uh, i have to mention black sweat i have to mention seven um, but very quickly, my number one song, it actually comes off of, uh, where are my notes? It was released April 7th of 1978, and it is I'm Yours. Uh, this is my pick for uh, the greatest guitar work in a song that you will find from Prince. So obviously he has lots of live versions of, of every th- song you can think of. He has constantly changed songs. He has multiple versions. And you know it, this doesn't sound quite like he did on that album. And whenever they re-release it, like there's different pieces. And he was constantly working on his stuff. And you would never see the same show twice, right? Um, this is the song that I always recommend to people whenever I try to espouse like the virtues of Prince as a guitarist and as a musician. So. Like we've we, we've talked about this before in past episodes, uh, Chris. I'm not sure if you were on this one, Derek, or not. But um, all these musicians, while he was still alive, if you would have asked them, "Hey, you know who's the greatest guitarist?" They would have all said Prince, right? And this is from everybody. You know, everybody would have said that Prince is the greatest guitarist. And I think that really says a lot because we we have this this uh, we have this I, this notion of or not, not notion, I, I guess sometimes we have this habit of whenever people die, we want to speak well of them. So oftentimes you'll say things out of emotion or just trying to be kind and you'll, you kind of inflate like a person's legacy. And that's totally normal. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, but people were saying this about Prince before he died. And I think that really speaks volumes to how incredible he was as a guitarist. But anyways, talking about the overt and subversive sexuality, uh, the the hidden and skewed in wordplay as far as being as sexual as humanly possible while still being able to release your music on a major record label, I'm Yours is that one. Uh, just a couple of lyrics. Up until the other day, there remained an empty space within my bed. Then I took one look at you and naughty things that we could do. Chris, are you listening? Oh, yeah. I took one look at you <laughs> and all the things that we could do. Dance within my, my head. Um, it's It's... 
I'll, I could keep going on with this, whatever, but long story short, the guitar work in this is, I think it is Prince at his absolute best. I'm rambling like I always do. I'm talking super, super long, but this is a, it's kind of a, a forgotten project. Like I said, um, this album didn't really uh, sell nearly as well. If you look at a lot of the, you know, the greatest Prince albums of all time, you know, you're going to see Purple Rain up there. You're going to see Sign of the Times. You're going to see Controversy. You're going to see his, uh, you know, his self-titled uh, album. You're not going to see this one on here. It's a weird project that only runs about 35 minutes long, and uh, I'm Yours is the last of it, and it is just such a banger. If you guys get one song out of this, I know it's it's kind of weird listening to a podcast where they're talking about songs and you don't hear them, but literally go back, make sure that you write all these names down and go listen to them, and make sure you listen to I'm Yours with a set of headphones in. You will not be disappointed. It is just Prince at his absolute best. And much like Prince says in I'm Yours, Yancey, you're the teacher, show me how. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It's so corny, but it's like such a thirst song, but he's just, man, he just shreds. He's so talented, guys. Oh, he sure is. All right. That was a good number one. Derek, what do you got for number one? All right. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna borrow from Yancey here and do a couple honorable mentions before I jump into number one. Really, the only honorable mention I want to say is the Diamonds and Pearls album from 1991. So I was in high school. This was right when I was in the middle of high school. Like I graduated high school in 93. So this would have been my third year in. I was right in the, you know, you're a very impressionable age. I would have been probably, I would have been 16, 17, 16, 17 when this came out. Like it's a very impressionable time for a young person, especially someone who really, really enjoys music like I do and like I did. Uh, so Diamonds and Pearls, I find, is one of those albums from Prince that doesn't always seem to get a lot of love. You don't hear when they play Prince's greatest hits, you don't usually hear stuff off it. It had a couple of big hits off it, Cream, Diamonds and Pearls, the title track, and Get Off, three great songs from this album. And I found when I was, I've been listening to my Prince playlist the last few days, sort of get me in the mood. I found that Diamonds and Pearls, the actual song, I've been humming it and singing it to myself all weekend. And, uh, I, I it just I don't remember it having that kind of staying power, but it's like just something about the melody and the lyrics. Um, I, I just find that album doesn't seem to get enough love. So I wanted to give it an honorable mention and a shout out before I jump into my my number one, which is probably from Prince's greatest album, as Yancey alluded to. 1984, Purple Rain, Prince of the Revolution. How can this not be number one? This is like doing the Michael Jackson podcast and not picking Thriller as a number one, Chris. Um, <laughs> so, but... I'm not going to my my single is not Purple Rain exactly for the reasons Yancey just said it's very long and it's a slower song and it sort of it, it paints a mood and in the context of the movie it's fantastic like it's a great song in its own right but again it's not one you hear on the radio that much pro- partly because it's slower and it's really long um, but that that shouldn't diminish its artistry in any way the song I'm going with is Let's Go Crazy this is my number one favorite Prince song and I said before, Prince has songs in all different genres. To me, this is a rock and roll song. Let's go crazy. You got the the guitar, you got all the things that go with a rock song. And uh, it is the, uh, what does it say here? It was the first track on the album and it's the first song you hear in the movie. So like Prince really felt strongly, I would assume, that this was, was definitely what he wanted to like, you know, they always say, put your best foot forward. Like this was his best foot. This is the, this is the introduction to this album. This is the introduction to this movie. Let's go crazy by Prince. If you're five minutes in and you don't like it, you're not going to like the rest of the album. You're not going to like the movie. Like this, this is, this is when Prince becomes a super duper, super, super, super duper star. Um, it came out in 1984. It was his second number one hit on the Billboard 100. It reached the top 10 in the UK. And as we mentioned previously, it was, it was re-released after his death. Uh, it reached the top 100 in uh, 2016. It got as high as number 25. Just a little bit about Purple Rain. It, you know, again, I, I, Chris, I suspect your number one pick might also be from Purple Rain, but so this might be stepping on your toes a bit, but Purple Rain album sold more than 13 million copies. It spent 24 consecutive weeks at number one on the Billboard charts. 24 weeks. That's half a year. Uh, It won Prince an Academy Award for Best Original original, uh, Song. Um, Or was it an original score? Anyway, he won an Oscar for it. uh, At one point in 1984, Prince simultaneously had the number one album, the number one single, and the number one film in the U.S. And it was the first time a singer had ever achieved that feat. Like... you can't belittle that accomplishment. It is amazing. Like Prince was the be all, as I said, the last one, Prince is the man. 
1984, Prince was the capital M man. Like he was on top of everything. And this song, Let's Go Crazy, in my mind was the best song off the Purple Rain album, the best song out of the movie, my personal favorite song. I can't say enough good things about Let's Go Crazy. That's my number one. Chris, what do you got? That's a good one. Uh, so, Derek, guess what? You and I are very much alike because my number one Prince song is Let's Go Crazy. Hey! Not only is this my favorite Prince song, it's one of my favorite songs of all time, period. It's just so, so good. It's hard for me to think of another song that has the raw energy that this song does. Like, it starts out with the long keyboard chords and his voiceover, and then it just explodes. And if you consider the fact that it's basically just two chords, it's just an F sharp and a B, but the band just rocks it. And then when you think the song's over, Prince shreds off the single greatest guitar solo of all time. And he uses both distortion and a wah pedal for better effect. And the result, it just, it's mind blowing. This guitar solo, Rianzi, you know, hit the nail on the head. He said, Prince is the greatest guitar player who ever lived. And the thing is, when I think of, you know, great guitar playing, I always think of this song and the guitar solo at the end. Prince did a lot of great stuff, but for me, this is his best song of all time. Like I say, it just explodes when it gets going. It's more of a force of nature than a song, in my opinion. And that's why it's number one for me and for Derek too. Yep. There you go, Chris. All right. Good. We did it through. All right. You know what? Let's have some fun with Yancey. Yancey, it's it's just so good to have you back, my friend. I agree. It feels good to be back. And the thing with you, Yancey, is not only do you enjoy music, you're also a musician in your own right because you play the drums. Correct. Not everyone knows that about you. But uh, even when you were a regular on the little show around here, you, you didn't always talk about your ability to play the drums very much, but you're an accomplished drummer, Yancey. Accomplished is very, uh, that's, (laughs) yes, I know how to play drums. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, I tell you what, between the fact that you play the drums and since you love music so much, just in general, I'm going to put you on the hot seat tonight and I'm going to ask you some trivia about drummers. Okay. Here's how it's going to work. Pretty simple. I name a drummer. All you have to do is tell me which band that he was a part of. Got it? So it's simple, right? Like for example, if I were to say Ringo Starr, you would say... Uh, Metallica. Yeah, there you go. Traveling Wilburys. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you, so you're going to do well. You're going to do well. And I tell you, I got a okay. list of 21 drummers. Holy cow. You, wow. And okay. you're just going to sail through them. Okay. I'm going to start you with an easy one. It's Canadian too. It's softball okay. question. Neil Peart. Rush. Rest in peace. Very good. Phil Collins. Uh, uh, Genesis. That's very good. Dave Grohl. Uh, the Foo Fighters and Nirvana. Well, no, Nirvana. And then he became a guitarist for Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah, very good. Very good. I would accept it either one. Okay, Tommy Lee. Um, <laughs> damn it. Um, I know this one. Uh, it's. I always get these two mixed up. It's either Motley Crue or... I, I don't think he's particularly talented, but I'll say Motley Crue. Motley Crue is correct. Okay. Charlie Watts. Who did Charlie Watts drum for? Mm, I don't know. The Rolling Stones. Yikes. You know, okay. Only, only the most famous band that ever lived. By the way, Derek, if I don't know, feel free to jump in. No, no, yeah, I no. Know, I didn't know that one, but I no. knew all the other ones that you got. Yes, he's on the hot seat here. Okay, here, okay. Don, Don Henley. Who did Don Henley drum for? Uh, the Eagles. He did. Very good. He sang too. He did. All right, Mickey Dolenz. Who did Mickey uh, Dolenz drum for? Uh, can you give me a hint? They also had a TV show. Uh, uh, the Monkees? Very, very good. Yes. Is it really The Monkees? Yes, it yeah. is. Oh, that was just a guess. Okay. Uh, Aren't they like guess. a fake band? They were like a, like a, like a, basically like a studio, just like put them together. Yeah. They, I think they put out a newspaper ad looking for people to join this fake band for this TV show. And they went from okay. there. They ended up that was a it. very nice hint though. That literally just, that was yes. the one band that I could think of for that. Yeah. What other band has a TV show back in the sixties? Okay. John Bonham. Who did John? Uh, Led Zeppelin, of course. Very good. All right, Frank Beard. Mm. Oh, I know this one. Yeah, you do, Derek. Frank Beard. Uh, uh, oh, my God. Um, oh, this is going to drive me crazy. Give me a hint. He was the only member of the band not to have a beard. Oh, uh, is, I feel like stupid I'm going to say this. Is it ZZ Top or is it... It is easy to talk. Is it really? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, was that your guess too? No, I knew that was right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. My mom and dad are really like screaming at the at the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All 
Yeah. <laughs> and the hit was a good one, I think. All right, Keith Moon. Who did Keith Moon drum for? Um, God, this is so much harder than it looks. People are, are judging me so hard. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's the who. The who. Yikes. All right. Yeah, I should have done that. Roger Taylor. Who did Roger Taylor drum for? Um, I don't know. Derek, help me out. No, I mean, I know these names, but for the life of me, I can't. Was he Pink Floyd? Queen. 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 All right, here's an easy one. Peter Chris. Who did Peter Chris drum for? That one I know. I don't know. Kiss. Yes, it was Kiss. Yes. All right. Can I can I just can I just go on record as saying Kiss is one of my least favorite bands of all time? That's fine. You could justify that for getting it wrong. That's fine. <laughs> all right. How about Max Weinberg? Who did Max Weinberg drum for? Mm. Oh, I think I know I, this. I I don't know this. <laughs> Derek, do you know? Well, there was the Max Weinberg 7 for, uh, I think it was David, no, not Letterman, one of the TV shows, but I think before that he was with Bruce Springsteen, wasn't he? Yes, it was Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien. He, he was the go. Max Weinberg 7, and yes, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band is correct. There you go. All right, this one's one for Yancey. You should be able to get this one. Artemis Pyle. Is this, you're going to say something stupid. No. Artemis, is it from a movie? He was known as the Wild Man of Southern Rock. Wild Man of Southern Rock. You know this band. Think of Southern Rock. It's not Leonard Skinner, is it? Yes, it is Leonard Skinner. Is it really? Yes. Okay, wow. All right. Lucky guess. Rick Allen. Who did Rick Allen drum for? Uh, I don't know. Derek? I know this oh. one. Def Leppard. Yes, yes. It's Def Leppard. He had Leopard. one arm. He's the guy with uh, one not arm. Not when they started, but he does now. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> Got in a car I accident. I remember reading an article. He has 32 drum ped- or, uh, foot pedals that he uses to compensate yep. for the lack of an arm, which yep. is pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right, Ginger Baker. Who did Ginger Baker drum for? Uh, I don't know. Derek? No idea. Cream. I would, all, I would have also accepted Blind Faith, but Cream is a very famous drummer. All right, Tico Torres. Who did Tico Torres drum for? The Grateful Dead. No, it was Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi? No, I was <laughs> say, I think it's Bon Jovi. All right, here's another Canadian one. Gil Moore. Also became the founder of the world-famous recording studio Metalworks in Toronto. But who did he drum for back in the 70s and 80s? Triumph. Yes, very good. Are wow, good call, Nancy. Okay, listen, That, in all seriousness, this just, I only got that right because this is, Chris and I have a lot of history together. And there's like 17 things that he tries to mention over and over again as much as he can because he loves them so much. It's like me with like Tom Petty and Prince. <laughs> he has mentioned Triumph so much. So that was just like a, a game theory thing. Like, yep. all right, he's going to try to get Triumph in here somehow. Like, I had... <laughs> well, well, I would never have known that. And I would have felt a little embarrassed not knowing my CanCon. All right. Yeah. Two more. You do more. You're doing pretty good. All right. Larry Mullen Jr. Who's Larry Mullen Jr., the drummer? Larry Mullen Jr. I have no idea. Oh, I think Derek. I know that. Derek should know. Is it you too? It is you too. Yes. Wow. Impressive. Okay. All right. Last one. Levon Helm. Famous drummer, uh, Levon Helm. Can you give me a hint? They have a very generic name. <laughs> can you give me more of a hint? <laughs> yeah, I got no idea. <laughs> They were the backup band for Bob Dylan. The band. Yes, it is the band. So that I gave that one away to you. Their, their self-titled, their self-titled album is uh, again. I, I I know it sounds like I just like say as as exaggerated of things as I can, but it, it is one of the best albums of all time as well. It is a great album. And Canadian content in there with Robbie Robertson, that's for sure. So. All good. Yeah. Well, I, I did pretty good. I'll be honest with you. Most of the bands that yeah, you, you listed here, with, with, with a few exceptions, obviously like Rush and stuff, like mm-hmm. these were not bands that I was like, I want to drum like that guy. Like mm-hmm. that's that's not a. Like I was hoping you'd say something like 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 Yaki from Can or, you know, obviously Bonham is like one of the all time greats. Mm-hmm. Those are great picks, but some of these are some weird ones that uh, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll have to go back and I'll I'll have to take a look at them. But yeah, yeah. But I think yeah, I'll, I'll, I think I did pretty good. Yeah, I think you did pretty good. I mean, overall, I mean, I gave you some hints though, young man. But uh, no, I think you did pretty good overall. So you know, and just some of them are names that you, that people just know, like you know, like they're just famous just because they were drummers, right? And they were in the band. But uh, anyway, Yancey, thanks a lot for coming back on this week. And if you want to reach out to Yancey on Twitter, you'll find him at Yancey Eaton. And you're gonna come back and join us again sometime, right? Yeah, let's do this again, guys. This was fun. And like I said, after COVID's over, you're going to come to Canada and the three of us are going to go out and do karaoke. You're going to do uh, your Prince song with a falsetto and I'm going to do Ring Ring a Dong for a Holiday. 
Oh my God. Look, he managed to squeeze that one in too. <laughs> Derek, that's, that's one of the 17 things that he mentioned over again. That, that's what I was talking about. That's one of them. There you go. So some things never change, right? So, uh, Derek, uh, for next week, we gotta, we got to watch a movie. So we, we've had some fun. I, I had fun with my last movie pick with Smokey and the Bandit. I want to have some more fun again, okay? So I want to go back to 1985. And we are going to watch a movie that never got a sequel, but it sure should have, especially with the title that it had. And that's Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins. Nice. All right. Nice. Up for the challenge? Yeah, I haven't seen that movie since 1985. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I want it to hold up or not, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I don't think it's going to hold up very well, but it's going to be a lot of fun watching it. I think that's that's where I'm going into it with. So, uh, like I say, if you would like to reach out on Twitter, uh, Yance Eaton's at Yance Eaton. Derek, you'll get at Amaron underscore DM, and you'll get me on Twitter at C McBrien, and popgoesyourworld.com is our website. Well, on behalf of Yance Eaton and Derek Myers, this is Chris McBrien saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 